Hi, and welcome to this fresh teaching from Foundation Church Belfast. My name is David. I'm the pastor of Foundation Church, and today we're going to be looking at the final talk in this series, examining the life and experiences of the Old Testament character called Gideon. And the title of this talk is How to Prevent Finishing Badly, because Gideon finished badly. Uh, let me catch you up first of all with the story. Gideon is an Old Testament judge, a group of leaders that God raised up from time to time, very early on in the, in the history of Israel. Uh, to, and they were raised up to deliver the people, to uh, take on the enemy and, and bring Israel back to, to safety. And Gideon uh, was, by his own words, he was a weak uh, coward. He, he, uh, he knew that he was from the, the, the weakest family and the weakest clan and the weakest tribe. And yet God came to him at the moment of his weakness. He called him, he gave him a new identity and he empowered him uh, with the Holy Spirit. It says that the Holy Spirit clothed Gideon and raised him up to be a deliverer, a savior. And we, we saw over the last few talks how God uh, is good, how he is kind, how he got down to Gideon's level, how he spoke to him, and how even Gideon, who had severe doubts about God and, and, and severe trial of faith, God time and again came to Gideon to build up his faith and, and to make him the man of God that he was called to be. And Gideon uh, eventually obeyed God and he oversaw this tremendous victory, uh, not because of his own might or the, the, the sheer number of people in the Israelite army. In fact, God had whittled it down to 300 men, just 300 men, to take on the might of the Midianite forces, at least 130,000 men in the Midianite forces, defeated by 300 men of Israel showing without a shadow of a doubt that God had brought victory himself to Israel through Gideon. And we might think to ourselves, wonderful, what an amazing show of power and strength that the Yahweh is king, that he's in control. How wonderful. And we might think to ourselves that at the end of the Gideon story, there'll be restoration of the faith and the worship of Israel. They would return to God, to Yahweh, that was his name. Uh, and it would be a wonderful ending to a, a, a great story. But instead, as we shall see over these next few minutes together, that, that, that the story unravels at the end of Gideon's life. In fact, we could argue that, that Israel are in a worse state after Gideon than they were before he ever came along. Uh, and this is how it starts. We're going to be looking together at Judges chapter 8, verses 22 to 35, the last few verses in, in uh, Gideon's life story. And it begins... With this, in verse 22, the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. They wanted to take Gideon, the victorious leader, and they wanted to make him king. Now, why is that a problem? Well, a bit of, bit of background. Uh, when God first uh, met and created his people, uh, Israel and, and made a covenant with them, a promise, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people. He said to them, look, effectively, I'm, I'm your king. I am your leader. You don't need a king. You've got me. You've got me. I'm greater than anything you'll ever need in any earthly king. Follow me. Listen to me. Follow my law. Uh, I'll watch over you. I'll bring you to peace. I'll give you security. But instead, uh, it says here that Israel wanted an earthly king. They wanted to reject effectively God as king 
and they wanted an earthly king, just so they could be like the other nations, the other guys out there, they've all got kings, why can't we have a king? Let's take Gideon and make him our king. So, and, and so Gideon had this request, we want you to be king, and he gave what can be considered to be an, an ambiguous answer. Uh, he said, well, no, I'm not going to be your king, but um, here's something you can do. And so he gave, gave this instruction, bring your gold, bring the, the gold earrings that we have plundered from the Midianite victory, bring them to me, kind of like a tribute that a king would accept, you know. Anyway, bring them to me, uh, and, and, and of course they bought them, and there's... there's, there's uh, about half a million pounds worth of gold uh, by today's market that was bought to to Gideon and what did he do with it he made it it says into verse uh, in verse 27 he made it into an ephod uh, an ephod is a is a a, a, a breastplate something that would, would have been worn by a priest um, uh, and it would have been used in sort of religious and ceremonial things um, and so here he is acting like a king, even though he said, I don't want to be king, but bring me a tribute. And he makes this ephod, this, this golden breastplate. And he put it in his own city, in his own backyard, interestingly, uh, in a little town called Ofra, which if you remember back from our second talk in the series, that was where the trouble started. That was where his own dad had the family idols in the back garden. Uh, that Gideon was called to, to hack to pieces. And so there he is putting these things back into his backyard in his own town. But it says that Israel, in verse 27, the effect of this was that Israel, quote, hoard after it there, hoard after it there. This, this language of unfaithfulness that, that Israel sort of lusted after, this, this golden ephod uh, that Gideon had made. Uh, effectively, what, what the text is saying here is that they quickly turn from God, from Yahweh, back to another lover. They went back to another lover. They embraced pagan religion firmly, completely, once again. And it says towards the end uh, of this passage, in verse 33, Gideon died and the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Berit, the name of a pagan god, him, they made him their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from their enemy. It ends badly. Gideon ends badly. And so the question that we're going to be looking at um, in the next few uh, mini videos is how do we prevent finishing badly? Uh, as a church, at Foundation Church, we've started strong. We've started well, but, but how can we prevent ending badly, going off the, the rails? How can we prevent ending badly? We don't want that. We want our history, our experience to be one of God's blessing and strength um, to, the, you know, to his glory, for, for, for the kingdom of God to be extended. We don't want to crash and burn. And perhaps uh, even more personally than that, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an individual, we want to end well. We want to serve well. Uh, we don't want to become uh, people who look back to a certain time and think to themselves, I was strong back then. I had a certain amount of spiritual vibrancy back then. But yet, uh, sadly, we see so many people switching off. So many people going cold in their affections towards God and their passion and zeal for him. So how can we prevent finishing badly? So the question we're going to ask ourselves in this second part is why 
did Gideon end badly? Because if we can understand a bit about why he ended badly, then we can prevent that from happening to ourselves. And the, there are two reasons why Gideon ended badly. Number one is that he reverts to type. He reverts to type. That is, he goes back to what he was like at the start. And in some ways, when we understand a bit about his background and his upbringing, we might have predicted that this could have happened. Uh, don't forget, he, he was the son of a man called Joash, who was evidently a bit of a leader in his own uh, little community. Who, and, and he possessed his own um, pagan altar, uh, a shrine to Baal and an Asherah pole. Remember back in the second part of our series, the second talk, uh, Gideon was instructed by God, first of all, to go and hack down the, the idols in your, in your father's backyard. And that's exactly what he did. But it seemed to be that Gideon um, was brought up in a family where it's perfectly acceptable to have some pagan gods in your backyard, but also to sort of externally confess and, and say that you believe and follow and love the God of Israel, Yahweh. And so this, this thing called syncretism uh, seemed to be the religion that Gideon grew up with. A bit of external religion, yeah, okay, lip service to Yahweh, but functionally um, it's okay to have other gods, other influences, a bit of everything. Uh, and so this was the sort of environment that Gideon was brought up in. And we might say that Joash, Gideon's father, was, was a, of course a really poor example of what it is to follow God. And so maybe it's no surprise that Gideon um, had this influence and reverts to type because Gideon never saw faith in God modeled effectively or passionately in his own house. Never saw it. In fact, he only ever saw that God, i.e. Yahweh, was just used to his father's advantage. You know, just some sort of old historic or traditional religion. Um, but, but clearly Joash had no real uh, heart, no real devotion to Yahweh. He just, he just, uh, his religion was pragmatic. If it works, do it. Um, if not, borrow a bit here if it suits your purposes. That's all that Gideon knew. And, and, and so when we see the story of Gideon with, in that lens, um, we see someone who basically has had a life of, of, of sort of spiritual conflict. Sometimes it appears that Gideon gets it and following God and listening to him and doing great things in faith, and indeed he is. At other times, he makes the most um, remarkable blunders, seeming to open up the door to return back to the idolatry and the paganism of his upbringing. Uh, perhaps this underpinned his doubt as well. If Yahweh is who he says he is, then you know he had these really deep existential struggles that the God in his goodness and his kindness um, led Gideon through. But perhaps you know, this, again, this syncretism, this, this mixed uh, religion of his father very much underpinned the severe doubt um, that Gideon went through. And this is probably one of the reasons why Gideon had such a bad ending. He reverted to type. He just went back to doing what he knew about. And so he made this ephod, which, which just seems completely bizarre for someone who's been called and equipped and, and filled by the Spirit of God and all that. He goes and makes this ephod. I think what was happening was this. I think he was trying to consolidate his power. Uh, it was a political move. It was a pragmatic move. It was trying to keep the, the people of the town happy. All the things that his father most likely did, there is Gideon doing the same thing. 
And it says that uh, back again, back in his backyard, back in his own hometown of Ofra, um, this thing became a snare. This golden ephod became a snare. Um, Israel whored after it. And, and there we are again with this sort of pagan idolatrous worship taking place on their own property, back in, in their own backyard, just a chip off the old block. He's reverting to type. And again, unfortunately, we see it repeating yet again with uh, Gideon's son, uh, his son called Abimelech, who, who carries on doing the same thing after Gideon is dead. Into that sort of um, power vacuum steps his son, kills the other sons that belong to Gideon and takes religion, uh, sorry, pa- gra- grabs at power himself and just carries on this cycle on and on and on. So we shouldn't be surprised that it ends badly for Gideon. Why? Because he's reverting to type. And the reason why this is so powerful, such an influence for Gideon and possibly for for us and you too today, when you listen to this, is that God has ordained families. He set families up to function in this way, whereby the influence carried by parents, especially the dad, but but parents together in general, um, the influence that they have um, very much dictates during the fundamental years, the the, the developmental years of the next generation, whether they're going to follow after the Lord, you know, the practices and the values of the family uh, for it will, will highly, heavily shape the next generation that comes from it. And we just need to look at our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, and we look at what happened to them and the way that they, they disobeyed God, and then how that transmits and affects everybody else who came after them. And so, in a small way, and likewise, the power of influence of parents uh, upon their children is huge and has a massive effect. If, if the parents parent well, lead well, the family goes well. If they lead badly, if they do stupid things, then it's almost like the family is under a curse. Sometimes it's said in leadership circles, the speed of the leader, speed of the team. And what that means is uh, if the, the person who's leading uh, is doing well, is progressing forward, is leading in, in, in a really powerful way, then the team that he or she is leading does really well. Likewise, if they are terrible leaders, um, if they are really selfish and, and uh, hungry for their own power rather than the greater good, then the team itself gets restricted and um, doesn't, doesn't win, doesn't do well. And we see this in, in families, especially, as I said, especially with dads, the way that God has organized and set up families to function. So let, let me say this. If, if Gideon ended badly because he reverts back to type, we need to examine ourselves, especially for those of us who are um, uh, mums and dads who are parents, but also for those of us who you know uh, have influence over others within our family, particularly the younger generations, whether it's nieces and nephews, grandsons and granddaughters, all that sort of thing, we have to look at ourselves and we have to ask ourselves, what kind of example are we setting? What, what kind of pace are we setting? What kind of influence are we exerting over our families? Um, because we are going to be the, the ceiling. Our zeal is going to set the pace. Our practices are going to teach and influence the next generation. So let's let's just get down to the personal level here, um, especially if you're a parent. What are your practices teaching your children? Uh, 
when it comes to church, let's say, when it comes to going to church, joining with the community of faith, uh, getting around the word of God, enjoying the presence of God. When it comes to that, what is your attitude? What is your practice? Um, do your children pick up from you that actually your paid employment, your work is more important than attending uh, the gospel uh, community, getting together? Because they, they quite frequently see you pre preferring work, getting that done, that for you is more important. Is that what you're going to be teaching your kids? Or when you go on holiday, for example, do you just say, you know what, we're not going to do church, we're away on holiday, we're in a foreign country or what have you. Um, again, are, you, are we teaching our kids that it's more important to relax and be at rest than it is to gather with, with God's people? What about on lockdown? Are we still prioritising uh, and getting around uh, the community of people? Or are we saying, oh, well, you know what, lockdown has come along, those things are no longer as important anymore. I'm not just talking about attending church. That's just one example. What sort of influence are you setting the younger generation when it comes to your prayer life? Are you a mum or a dad, a man or a woman of prayer? Do your kids regularly see you praying? Do they know that you're praying? Do you pray together as a family? Or for you, is prayer just something that other people do and, and that's not something you're particularly interested in? We can go on. Your, your, your engagement with the scriptures, with, with the Bible. Um, is this something that's important to you? Because if it's important to you, it'll be important to your kids, especially in these fundamental years. What about hospitality? You know, are, are you using your resources, your home, to build the kingdom of God, or are you using them to build your own kingdom? Because as I say, as we see with Gideon, the influence of the parents will very much set the pace for the subsequent generations. If you are passionate and on fire and, and, and diligent and devoted to God and to Jesus Christ and to learning about him and knowing him and experiencing him and sharing him and talking about him, then your kids will likewise be the same. If you are lukewarm, floppy or flaky, then that is how your children will, will grow up. And we see that in this case, in this terribly devastating case, the Gideon reverts back to type. Now look, I'm not saying that we have to be or can be perfect parents. There's only one perfect parent and his name is God the Father. He is our perfect father. But are our lives, here's a question, are our lives radiating the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if they are, if we are making progress, if we are going forward in grace, then that creates a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful influence on our children, on the next generation. Maybe you're hearing these things and you're thinking very different thoughts indeed. In fact, maybe you have had an experience of having terrible parents um, for various reasons. Maybe, maybe for, for, for one example, maybe you, you were not brought up in a Christian home, didn't have Christian parents. Um, perhaps even worse than that, uh, your parents were Pharisees. They were sort of externally saying, well, yes, we're, we're, we're Christian. We go to the so-and-so church. We've, we've always done this. This is our, our, our family religion. But yet they, they, um, they have no real love or desire uh, for the things of God. Perhaps even terribly, uh, you suffered 
under the, the, the hands and influence of your, your parents. You're abused in some way, shape or form. And so maybe when you listen to this, you think to yourself, well, oh, is this just a done deal now? Am I locked in? I, I didn't have great parents. I didn't have a great example or great experiences growing up. Is this, is this my life now? Am I so locked down by this a dead end that I may as well just give up? I'm just going to end badly just like Gideon. It's just written in the stars. And the answer is no. I want to encourage you. The answer is no. Uh, Gideon, his path was predisposed because of his upbringing, but it was not predetermined. Predisposed, not predetermined. Yes, there were traits. Yes, uh, there were effects of his upbringing coming out in his life. But it is entirely possible, in fact, with God's help and his power, it is possible for that cycle to be broken. It doesn't need to be an inevitable curse upon you if you do not have good parents. It's possible to avoid a simple repetition, an ongoing circle. How is it? Well, the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, grace. Because you see, through Jesus, great power is available to us from God, the Holy Spirit given to you and me, so that we might turn to God, that we might receive faith in him, that we might receive power. Because look, this is the one thing that we need to know. God's power given to you is so much greater than the power or influence anyone else can have over you and your future. Through Jesus Christ, God the Father pours out his power upon you to break every chain, to destroy every vicious cycle. And that grace is available to you through faith and Jesus Christ. Jesus says, just ask, ask and you shall be given. So first of all, we see that Gideon ends badly. Why? Because he reverts to type. Well, the second reason why Gideon ended badly is because, number two, he believed the hype. He believed the hype. There's no doubt about it that Gideon was used by God to achieve a, a miraculous, incredible victory with just 300 men against the at least 135,000 Midianite raiders. Incredible. The chances, humanly speaking, of, of, of pulling of, of, off a victory like that are infinitesimally small. But as we saw, God used these small numbers to achieve a victory, to show beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was Yahweh, it was God who won the victory. And yet Gideon started to believe the hype. Here's how it happened. The 300 men that God had selected, remember the ones that lapped the water like dogs, uh, in each hand they had a trumpet, and in the other hand, each one had uh, a flame which was sort of obscured or covered by an earthenware jar. And the idea being that on, on the signal from Gideon, uh, they would blow the trumpets. They were, they were stood around the Midianite camp on, on top of the hills. They would blow the trumpets on the signal. They would smash the jars and, and release the flames. And so, of course, they all did this at one time. And it said that when that happened, with the flames and the noise, the entire Midianite camp was thrown into disarray. Mass confusion. It says that the people within the camp start, turned on one another because it was the middle of the night. They didn't know what was going on. It was chaos. They started fighting each other. They started to flee. 
And at that stage then it says that Gideon uh, called his fellow uh, tribesmen to, to come, reinforcements to come and support and to come and join the 300 in the rout. And so they pursued the Midianites and, and cut them off as they went. And uh, it says that they eventually caught some of the generals and the, the kings within the, the little uh, tribes that made up the Midianites. And uh, they chopped, Gideon chopped off their heads. And then he went back to the towns that refused them passage and refused them help in their military uh, pursuit. And he went back and sacked those towns as well and killed various people within those towns. And he came back then to his own town, Gideon, the man of conquest, the man of victory, to the great cheers and the great praises from the people. But the problem was that Gideon started to believe the hype. He started to listen to the praises and thought to himself, I achieved this. It was my greatness and my power that achieved this wonderful victory. He forgot very quickly that it was God, that it was Yahweh who brought this victory. There is no way that Gideon could have done this on his own. Don't forget, he went from being the timid coward, the weakest person in the weakest clan, the weakest tribe, according to him. And then he's turned into some sort of bloodthirsty man of violence. And some were impressed by this, of course. You should be king, Gideon. Look at how great you are. Look at how wonderful your victory was. You should be king over us. And of course, that's hard to say no to, isn't it? When offers of power and further consolidation are given to you in, in response to the praises of the people. Of course, at one time, Gideon had faith. He had faith in the remarkable promises of God. and He went forward in faith and that's wonderful and that's true. But he ended badly because he started to listen to the hype. He started to think that it was his own power that pulled this off. Sometimes it's said that success is the worst thing that can happen to somebody. Imagine uh, meeting a person who um, absolutely idolizes their career, loves it. Um, but for them, their career is their life. Uh, they, they, are, they just live for success. They live for the growing stature, the growing uh, success and, and power that they achieve through progression in the career, getting larger and larger teams, uh, more and more influence. And for such a person who's driven um, by that sort of uh, desire for more within uh, their particular career, sometimes we think, well, the worst thing that could happen to that person is that they would lose their job. Many are losing their jobs right now through, through COVID-19 related lockdown and, and the economic downturn and all that. The worst thing that could happen for such a person, we think, is that they would lose their jobs. And, and of course, that would be devastating and very sad. But sometimes success is the worst thing that can happen to a person because they start to listen to their own hype. They start to think, well, I've earned this completely on my own. It's got nothing to do with anybody else. And of course, hard work and initiative and, and taking risks is all part of it. But such a person can become quite arrogant. I've worked hard for this. This is all on me. They become turned in on themselves. They become uh, someone who just listens to their own praise too much. They will start looking down on others who they perceive have not worked as hard, that aren't as gifted, aren't as talented, aren't as brainy as me. And they'll become arrogant and selfish towards others. They will not be generous or open-handed or humble. They'll basically turn into horrible people who believe the hype about themselves. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen to someone is success. And 
as people who follow Jesus, who believe in a gospel of grace, we have to hang on to the fact that we are saved by grace alone in our failures, but we are also saved by grace alone in our successes. We are not saved by our own success. And this is important because Gideon's downfall, part of it was because he started to believe the hype about himself. You see, as people today, uh, we cannot cling onto things that we've done in the past as evidence for the fact that we are, we consider ourselves to be in good standing with God. What do I mean by that? We, we, we can't, in other words, look back on our previous performance and say that therefore we are good with God. Whether it's a uh, part of our lives of previous spiritual zeal when we were really on fire for God and getting it done, we can't look back at that and say, well, that's the basis of my being right with God and therefore the rest of my life is fine. We can't look back to a period of passion or a time of great commitment when we made a decision uh, to follow Jesus. We can't look back to that thing necessarily or, or the good works that we have done and say, well, it's on the basis of this that, that I've done well, that I'm good with God. This period of intense service that I did 20 years ago. We just cannot lean on our previous successes, no matter how great and sincere and wonderful they were at the time. We can't lean on those things as evidence that we are currently and will always be right with God. In fact, Gideon here shows us the exact opposites. He achieved some wonderful things and yet he did not end well. And in fact, throughout my, my, uh, my, my leadership and my experience in church ministry, I, I meet a lot of people who do just that. They, they point back to a, a time when they did a lot of stuff and they, they served with zeal and had great spiritual experiences, but they think that that is enough. And, and yet many times you look at their lives now and how they are currently and quite often they're devoid of spiritual power, devoid of signs of grace in their, in their lives currently. There, there is no sense of an ongoing, growing relationship with God. You know, according to the New Testament in the Bible, faith in Jesus Christ and consequent reception or through that and with that reception of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and he, he lives within us. God himself lives within us and he causes us to grow fruit. It's called fruit of the Spirit. We see this in Galatians 5. And it gives evidence that we truly belong to God, this, this ongoing growth of fruit. And quite simply, the New Testament is clear. If there is no fruit growing in our lives, then we are not in good relationship with God. We, 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 do not, we have not been converted of course, yes, fruit has seasons. Sometimes it grows rapidly, other times it goes through winter and doesn't seem to be much growth at all. But by and large, it is inevitable. By and large, fruit is, grows continually, ongoingly. It is visible, you can see it. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are, these are the virtues, the fruit of a life given to God and, and, and one that, that bears the Holy Spirit. And you can see this. You can see this fruit. You can see it in relationships. You're, you're, those closest to you can see it in your life. It's, it's visible. It's practical. It's life-changing. This is what happens when you come into saving faith in Jesus and you receive the Holy Spirit from God. 
and this is an ongoing thing. You see, we cannot pin our hopes on a previous time in our lives of faithfulness or sincerity or whatever it happened to be, that thing back then, and hope that that is enough to get us through to the future. We can't just do a bunch of hard work for God and then give up, sign off, live as we wish. We can't just say, well, God knows my heart. He knew what I was like back then and and that's sufficient for me right now. Because if we do that, look at Gideon, we can guarantee a bad ending. We can guarantee that we will fizzle out, that we have no grounds for our assurance of faith, no sign, ongoing sign of our conversion to God through Jesus Christ. So we see the two reasons why Gideon ends badly. Number one, he reverts to type, going back to how he was beforehand. And number two, he believes the hype about himself. I wonder as we move on just now, which one of these are you more susceptible to? Reverting to type or believing the hype? Because either way, as Gideon shows us, it doesn't end well. But the good news is, we can prevent this from happening. In fact, through Jesus Christ, there is great hope for a great ending. Well, this is the fourth and final part of this message. And we want to ask ourselves then, okay, how do we prevent the same thing from happening to us? In other words, how do we prevent ending badly like Gideon? Gideon, as I've mentioned, is part of the book called Judges, which records the various judges that God raises up to deliver Israel uh, from oppression from various enemies. But as the book of Judges continues, we see this general decline of the people of Israel. It doesn't get better, it gets worse. They end up in near civil war. There's increased depravity, moral chaos. In fact, the last words recorded in the book of Judges is this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's how it ends. Chaos. Everyone's doing their own thing. Conflicting chaos. And Gideon himself plays a part in the downfall of the people of Israel at that stage. Yes, he provides a temporary victory and that's wonderful and great. But he actually is part of the problem. And it's unsettling because we want more. We want a good outcome. We want the story to end well and it doesn't. We, we want a greater deliverance. We want to read of a deeper peace and eternal rest that comes to the people. But it doesn't. In fact, the book itself drives us forward. They had no king, it says. And so the solution must be, we, we say to ourselves, get a king, elect a king, ask for a king. A king can come and lead and have control and have authority and bring back to a period of peace and, and prosperity. And that indeed is, is what happened. The people of Israel asked for a king. They asked God for a king and God grants them a king and grants them lots of kings and many kings after that. But as the book called Kings and the book called Chronicles goes to show, even though there were some good kings, there were also some terrible kings who led Israel away from God. They led them to idolatry, to worshipping pagan gods, much like the book of Judges. It got worse and worse and worse. Israel went down and down and down. So if it's not Judges and it's not Kings, then who is it? Who did Israel need? Who do we need? 
Well, Gideon here and, and the judges together point past themselves. They point past themselves. The kings likewise point past themselves. They point to the need of a greater leader. They point to the need of a greater leader who will come to serve rather than violently grabbing power, rather than snatching glory for himself like Gideon. We need a true king, not a false king, not a fake one. One who has been elected by God to be the supreme saviour, not one who promotes himself to rule as he saw fit. Judges and the kings show us that that, that we need a leader who himself is the, the focus of our worship, who himself is worthy to receive worship rather than the false place of worship established by Gideon in his back garden. See, they point to the great king, the great saviour, Jesus. It's because of Jesus, this self-giving servant king, that Gideon, who's the failed king, it's because of Jesus that, that the Gideon points ultimately forward to him. It's because of him that we can be freed of generational sins. It's because of him that we can be free from returning back to type, from the influence of our upbringing. We can, the cycle can be broken by his grace because of Jesus. Because in him we can be defined by what he has achieved on our behalf. The victory that Jesus won over sin and death and the devil as opposed to the influence of those who came before us and exerted influence over us. The power of Jesus is greater. It's because of Jesus that we can be forgiven of our sinful attempt to lean on our past spiritual successes and neglect our ongoing need and desire for him every day our rejection of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, that we, we can be forgiven because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can be motivated to display the fruit of the Spirit in our lives with joy. When we see him and we see that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So it's not about Gideon, it's not about the judges, it's not about the kings, it's about the great king, the great leader, the great victor. Jesus Christ. And he achieved that through his death on the cross and his resurrection. And so my question to you as we finish out this series and think about ending well, will you trust Jesus? Will you see that he gave himself for you to unlock you from a cycle of influence and to forgive you of your sins so that you could be made right in the eyes of God, you can be restored. Will you believe in Jesus? Will you trust him? Because when you do, he sends you his Holy Spirit, the third person of the, the Trinity, to come and live in you with power to change you so that you can live out your new identity in Jesus Christ. It can be yours today if you open yourself to God, to trust in Jesus. Ask says Jesus, and you shall receive. And so will you receive him by faith in him today? Let's pray together as we finish this series. Father God, we want to live well. We want to 
avoid ending badly. Lord, we want to live a life that pleases you, a life of power and significance, of love and joy that we can see ourselves and that others around us can see. We know that that is available through Jesus, through faith in Jesus. Help us to trust him. Father, we thank you that Jesus gave his life on the cross so that we can be forgiven. Please would you send your Holy Spirit. Give me power to live for you, a life that honours you and bears the fruit of your Holy Spirit in me. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Please do get in touch with us at Foundation Church through our email. Uh, details are below or through social media. We'd love to connect with you. And even after all this lockdown is over and we get to meet face to face, we'd love you to come along to Foundation Church Belfast. We usually meet every Sunday, 10.30 at Ashfield Girls High School in Belfast. Um, but please do keep in touch. We have online community. And we have opportunities to chat and catch up and get to know each other even if we can't do that face to face. So please do give us a shout and we'd love to work out how we can serve you and bless you and strengthen you through these challenging, difficult and bonkers times that we're living in just now.